0: who I think stepped out after playing guitar. Oh, no, he's right here. Okay. I need stronger glasses, I guess. Um, he shared a handout with me, uh, on the biblical pattern for reconciliation. And I, I looked at it and I thought, man, this is such a great handout that I told him, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to take this to the church we're going to work our way through this. And so since I speak, I'm, I'm speaking before he's speaking, I steal it before he can. And so, um, Our Wednesday night services are called Principles for Life, so we should cover life principles here. And so, um, although there's times we have just incredible moves of God on Wednesday night, um, there's also going to be times where we just kind of dig in and look at the Word and go, okay, how can this make me a better person Monday through Saturday? And so, um, reconciling conflict or issues is a part of life. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Amen. Um, Not only does this outline discuss ways of reconciliation, but it discusses types of reconciliation. So we're going to take tonight and next week to look at this two-week series that I've entitled The Biblical Pattern for reconciliation. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, you are so great. And as we just sang, you're the center of it all, Lord. Everything revolves around you. And Jesus, let that not just be words and a song for us, but let us that be the way we live our lives, that you would, everything that we do rotates and revolves around you as the center point of everything that we are. God, we love you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the term reconciliation, what does that actually mean? It gets thrown around a lot, especially in religious circles, but Encyclopedia Britannica kind of gives two basic definitions. One is the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. So if you're fighting with your spouse, you need to become friendly again after your argument or disagreement, okay? But the process of finding a way to make two different ideas, facts, exist to or be true at the same time. So two different ideas are facts. They love that downstairs. That's awesome. Exist to be true at the same time. The definitions focus on coming together, if you look at this, on no longer being apart and finding a way to make two ideas work. That's essentially what Reconciliation is coming together, no longer being apart, and finding a way to make two ideas work. Sin completely tore us apart in God's original plan for us. Okay. We look, scripture tells us though, that 2 Corinthians 5:19, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So no longer counting people's sins against them. I I could just stop right there and rejoice. Just just right there. Just I don't ever want to get so accustomed to scripture that I don't get excited about a line like that. I, I mean, like everything we can preach, all the wonderful things, all the different approaches and methods that we can avenues at which we can come at Scripture. Nothing gets me as excited as God no longer counts my sins against me. Thank you, Jesus. But He gave us, because of that, it says He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And this truly is a wonderful, wonderful message. God's ultimate goal for all believers is that we would not only live in oneness with Him, but also that we would be unified, a unified church with one another. Look what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21. It says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. The Apostle Paul echoes the same sentiment when he says in Philippians 1:27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. I pray that that same thing is said of Refuge Church. That we will always be not fighting for our opinion, fighting for our stance, fighting for what we think should be done, but ultimately, it's all about the good news. It's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we as a church can always say we are one, we are unified, and we will always stand for that. And then Philippians 2, 2, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. That's a good thing. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. This is what the church, you know, this is not just like, oh, hey, we should try to do this is a good thing. This is biblical. This is what God calls, this is a, a picture of the church. We should be in one mind because guess what happens when you get one mind and one accord? Guess what happens when you get to one mind, one accord, one place that God's spirit can be poured out. God's miracles, signs, and wonders can be done. But that's very difficult to be done if, if, if we walk into a church. It doesn't matter how incredible the music is, how beautiful the sanctuary is, how incredible the message is. If there's tension in the building for varying, varying outlooks and, and I'm arguing for my position and I don't like this person, there's tension there, it's very difficult for God's spirit to be poured out upon anybody with that type of spiritual atmosphere. And so Paul is sitting here, he's addressing this to the church in Philippi going, hey, we need to be one. We need to be one mind. We need to be working, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together, standing strong, fighting for the good news. And God knows that sin, offense, and hurts in relationships, they can and will develop. I mean, that's why he addressed, he he wouldn't address it if it never took place, So he knew, hey, this is going to happen. Many of us probably know this passage. I think you you may have heard this. If not, let me read it to you. Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Do you know when Solomon uses the word death there? It ends in death. That word death can refer to a couple of different things. Number one, separation of the body from the spirit, which is physical death. Two, separation from God, which is spiritual death. Or separation from those around us, which is relational death. That Hebrew word can mean all three of those. So, God gave us this beautiful gift and wonderful message of this thing called reconciliation. Romans 5, 10 says, For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The unregenerate, the unregenerate mind, the human mind, views, even in our world today, can view God as the enemy. Therefore, we need to be reconciled, meaning our mind and our attitude have to be changed to where we come back into what God's plan was and is for us and for the church as a whole. Colossians one twenty one says, and these are all Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to Philippi, Paul's letter now to the church in Colossus. And it's, he says, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Where, where were you enemies, did he say? In your mind. There's a reason why the Greek word metneo means a, an about face, a changing of one's mind. Repentance is changing your mind. He, he says, be not conformed to this world, but, but by the renewing of your mind. There's so much that needs to take place right here. And he says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So our our minds are a battlefield in more ways than one. But if we repent, if we change our mind, he will wash our sins away, he will fill us with his spirit, and we can be reconciled to him because of what he did on the cross. And so when people throw around this term, reconciliation, spiritually, this is what we're talking about. We can be reconciled by God. The cross by the blood, but it's not just because it was shed. It's because when we change our mind, metanoia, we uh, we make that about face. We say, "Okay, Lord, I want to think differently, so that I'm able to receive and accept the blood that you shed for me." Maybe that's why some people will say, "Accept the Lord as your personal Savior." Hey, I agree that you need to accept what God did on Calvary. The problem is, it doesn't stop there. When I accept what He did, now I'm going to go and act upon that, and I'm going to follow the plan for my salvation that He's laid out for me. And so God also, though, has another plan, and that's to be reconciled to one another too. This includes husbands, wives, adult children, parents, siblings, even fellow Christians. Anywhere there has been offense or wrongdoing, God has a plan for reconciliation, Even though there's difficult situations, they're not all easy. I'm not saying that tonight I can just get in this pulpit and go, hey, if you're offended at somebody here tonight, let it go. Get over it. Let's go. Move on. Sometimes I want to say that. But I know that sometimes, hey, you might need uh, some counseling. might have to sit down with that person. might have to have a mediator. There might be a really big issue that's caused a lot of pain. uh, For certain, I understand those things. But I will say, I will say this. That based on what I read in Scripture, it is never, I can't use that word a lot, it is never God's will for people in the same church to keep bitterness and hatred toward one another. No matter, no matter how big, how hard it was, how difficult it was, how rude, if it was on purpose, if it was on accident, none of that, none of that matters. Yes, we need to work through it. Yes, we need to go to our brother or sister. We need to make it and make it we need to bring it to them. If so, we need to. If that doesn't work, got to you know pull somebody else in. And absolutely, there's there's process for this. But if we continue to live with the bitterness, the hatred, the anger, and ignore the message, the wonderful message of reconciliation, you actually can be responsible for stifling the flow of the Spirit of God. In a local assembly. So it's not just a responsibility upon your shoulders for your own life and your family, but for the greater good of the church that you might think, well, nobody's going to know. I just can't stand that person. I can't. They frustrated me. They've been angry, whatever, especially if it's me. I mean, I, I say that and we can chuckle, but if you're angry at something I did or did not do, and I stand in this pulpit and I'm supposed to be. The voice of the Lord, which I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say that in a a fear of God that he's called me to stand in this pulpit and to speak things that he gives me to say. So if you're bitter about something I did or didn't do, you're absolutely going to be hindered. Now, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to go, well, so I'm right, you're wrong, get over it. I might be wrong. you got to come talk to me. We got to work through it. And I'll tell you my side, and I want to hear your side because I don't want to be someone that you are struggling with when I'm standing here in the pulpit talking about the Word of God. But even with one another, if there's bitterness or anger or hatred or, or anything toward each other, you think that it might not be a big deal, but that will impact. The flow of the Spirit of God. When, 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 when the book of Acts, Peter stands up with the 11, that was very much. Luke didn't just write that detail because, like, he didn't know what else to say. He wasn't trying to get, like, to 2,700 words and meet his quota. Like, no. He... That was a a show of unity that he stood up with the 11. There was unity that we're in one accord with this message. We're not just in one accord and one mind in our pursuit of God and prayer, but in our message of salvation to the onlookers. he, He stood up. They were unified as they stood up with one another. God's spirit was poured out upon all flesh because they were unified in one place, in one mind. So if we want that type of power and authority... We can't hold on to the things, even if we do think that they're big things. There has to be reconciliation in the church. The whole message of Calvary and the cross is reconciliation. And that should bleed down, literally and figuratively, the blood of Christ. It should bleed down into everything we are as a church. And so he has a plan, though. Matthew 5 talks about it. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and their remembrance that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave therefore thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled. Look at the word. Be reconciled to thy brother, and then come give your gift. God places a ton of emphasis on relationships with one another. That's why we don't, you'll hear me say, we at Refuge put a ton of emphasis on that vertical relationship. Of course, we want to be close to God, but there are so many passages about the horizontal relationship. That is why we're going to have a Memorial Day picnic. And at that Memorial Day picnic, we'll pray for the food. But guess what? We're not going to have devotionals and probably great moves of God. If he wants to do it, that's wonderful. We'll do it. But it's going to probably be softball, a little bit of trash talking, some beanbag toss. We're going to have some fun. Why? Because there's a horizontal relationship that is laid out in scripture. Because we should be able to say, you know what? I can laugh with you. I can have fun with you. I can listen to what you have going on. I want to build that relationship. Why? Because this is, this is God's plan for his New Testament church. And so throughout the battle the, the Bible battles were won when people were unified. Holy Spirit was poured out when people were unified. Nothing could be restrained from humanity when they were unified. When God says be reconciled, that was not sound advice. That was a divine command. When he says be reconciled. The Greek tense of the word reconcile, it means it implies taking initiative. You know what that means? When you want to be reconciled, don't make the mistake that the majority of human beings make in our day and age. Well, I'm open to it if he or she will come to me. If they apologize, well, if they come talk to me, it's on them. I mean, if they talk to me, I'll consider it. No, that's not what that Greek word implies. It implies taking initiative. I am coming to you. And if I know I'm going to, I want to take action, I want to work toward reconciliation. So the question then becomes, how? How do we reconcile? Well, the passage in Matthew 5, Matthew 5 shows us reconciliation at least appears possible. It's important. It's the will of God. We should get up from an altar and go take care of it. This is pretty important. There's not too many times in Scripture that I see God telling you to leave the altar. So if he says that, that's a pretty big deal. But how do we do that? Well, this particular passage doesn't lay out the specifics on how. It's just, says, hey, this is how you work through reconciliation. But what about all the details? What about all the specifics? We can fill in the gaps by looking at other places in Scripture. So I'm going to offer four aspects of reconciliation. Tonight, we're just looking at the first aspect of reconciliation. Next week, we'll look at the, the remaining three. Now you can take a deep breath because you're like, are you going to go through all four right now? No. The first aspect of reconciliation is confess the sin. My dad always said this to me. He said a lot to me, but this is one of the things he said to me. Gary, a mark of maturity is when you can take ownership for your actions and not try to shift the blame to anyone else. Because I mean, like you think that started since the beginning of time. Like Adam's, like, oh, the woman you gave, me, oh, it's the serpent's fault. Like this is this is this is in our DNA. So I want somebody to go. Hey, what happened to that? What happened to that college paper? Your your presentation? Well, the group that you put me in, they weren't doing anything. And then you know, and then you go on the job, and the you know the the supervisors going, hey, do we have that thing right? Well, I tried, but the morning shift manager, they didn't have their stuff done. We do this through our whole life. We just kind of. Blame people. Well, and then we get married, and you know, if there's a tension in the marriage, well, it's you did this. You don't find a lot of people that just go, Wow, that's that's an excellent point, and I am at fault for that, and I apologize. And if you do half the time, you might people think don't be sarcastic with me right now. Yeah. <laughs> we must recognize and take ownership over all of our sin and failure. No ifs, ands, or buts. Confess. And restoration with others must mirror how we have restored fellowship with God after sin. God's love is unconditional, but our fellowship with Him is conditional. His love's unconditional. You can never fall so far. He's like, I'm done loving you. But if we're going to walk in fellowship with him, that's conditional. This means God loves us no matter what. But if we don't respond to him, follow his word and his principles, he will still love us. But there's not going to be much of a depth to a relationship there. First John 1, 6 and 7, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his sons, cleanseth us from all sin. Notice the Bible is not only interested. What I just read there is, hey, let's talk about fellowship with him. And the next verse says, let's talk about fellowship with one another. Did you catch that? The Bible's not only interested in the fellowship that we have with God, but it's also concerned with the fellowship that we have with one another. That's very scriptural. Minister publicly, house to house, breaking of bread. The New Testament church is jam packed. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks. When you talk in church about we need to be close to God, God wants to hear our voice, we need to draw near to God. Most churches, nobody's going to have a problem with that. But you start saying, hey, it's just as important to God that he he also talks about our relationship with one another. People are like, "Ah, I don't know, I'm not as comfortable with that. But it's jam-packed. The New Testament is jam-packed with breaking bed, fellowship, house to house. Uh, As I say all the time, weeping with those who weep. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Bear one another's burdens. Work. To have fellowship with one another, work at reconciliation. God loved us so much that he took on flesh, dwelt among us, and in doing so, he revealed two important things that should also govern our daily relationships with one another. John 1.14, the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That should govern our relationships with one another, too. There should always be grace and truth. Because if we ever stop extending grace to one another, think if God stops extending grace to you, the relationship is destroyed. Think if we don't have the truth of God's word. What do we have? And in relationships with one another, if we ever stop extending grace to one another, the church will be destroyed. And if we ever stop speaking truth to one another, the church can also be destroyed. There must be truth, but not only truth to one another, but truth to your own self. What I mean by this is self-deception leads to dysfunction. Now, dis, dis means I just went back to high school. Man, he dissed you, dog. You know? No. No. Not that diss. Diss means bad, abnormal, broken, difficult, incomplete. So dysfunctional relationships are bad, abnormal, broken, difficult, or incomplete. These start when we are self-deceived. People sometimes will function in life as though they have a relationship with God. Like I could be talking about this right now, and there could be people either watching online or sitting here tonight that you are bitter. You are bitter. You're angry. You're frustrated. Might be at me. Might be at somebody else. But already in your mind, you're justifying yourself like, well, no, this is Well, I've tried. Well, I don't think it's going to get anywhere. It's not going to change anything. And so right away, we have dysfunction in our brain. Because we're starting to justify our current actions, even though they might be against God's plan for the church, we start to justify our current actions based on our thinking. And so people might say, well, I have a relationship with God, when really, they don't have a relationship with God. And if, and if we don't really have a relationship with God or we're trying to justify our action or inaction, there's never growth that's going to come from that. Matter of fact, it won't only not be growth in your life, but it'll be a hindrance to his overall plan for the church. And so this can lead to dysfunction because there's never with this, when this happens and our mind is thinking in dysfunctional ways... We never actually truly repent because repentance is a change of mind. But when our minds don't acknowledge a problem, we don't ever repent. We cannot be reconciled in our mind if we don't see the problem. And so confession, for us, before we even start with the the topic of reconciliation, this is the first step. Because if we are not willing to confess, we're not willing to confess if we don't see a problem. So the problem, we have to start with the dysfunction that goes on right here. We can't just keep going the way we are if there's an issue and just, and just hope that something will change, but yet it's not going to be me. That's why John writes in 1 John 1.8, he says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth, grace and truth, truth can't be in us if we think we never do wrong. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So restoration to fellowship with God comes, it starts with confessing our sins, Restoration does not happen by doing more, serving more, reading more, listening to more Christian music. We must confess our sins, and then he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Confession, though, is more than feeling bad. You can feel bad about sin and still live in sin. Confession is more than feeling bad. Confession is more than saying sorry. Confession is more than crying tears. Now, the the offender must clearly state what he or she wants forgiven. Wrong confession. I did a lot wrong. I'm sorry. That's wrong confession to God or to a spouse or to friends. I lose my temper. I say and do stupid stuff. I go, oh, Jackie, I'm sorry for everything I did wrong the last couple days. That's just a weak confession. That's weak. Clear confession is someone going, I'm sorry that I lied to you multiple times to your face over the last couple days. I'm sorry that I responded X, Y, Z at this time to that person and this came out of my mouth. I'm sorry for that. Well, we don't have to rehash it all. Nobody's saying to rehash it all but you we need to acknowledge and own our failure. Confession and even forgiveness these do not automatically restore relationships but they're significant steps in the right direction. Remember this granting and receiving forgiveness that handles the legal or the judicial part of the offense it's the first step. Toward reconciliation. It's not the last step, it's the first step. Forgiveness and trust are two separate issues. Rebuilding trust is crucial, but it must start with confession and forgiveness. We must be able to distinguish between position and relationship. Position, a couple can be legally married. Anyone here legally married? Right. If you're illegally married, I don't even know. I guess just work through that. But that's position, legal standing position. But don't raise your hands. But how many of the people raise their hand that have a quality relationship? Legal position. We're, we're, we're married. That's the title. This is the official outlook, the legal definition. This is who we are. But are you in fellowship? Do you have a quality relationship? The Bible speaks of justification. We're justified to stand before God based on Calvary, based on the blood, the cross. Jesus took the sins, ordinances that were against us. Colossians 2.14 tells us he blotted them out, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, against us, and took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross and so because he did that, I can I can repent of my sins, change my thinking, be baptized in his name, filled with his spirit. I can stand in right standing just because of the covering of the blood. It makes me justified. I'm not justified. I'm not justified by anything I've done. The only thing that I've done that I'm justified for is death. I'm justified to die because of my failures and faults. But I can live eternally because if I apply that blood to my life through obedience, I'm justified by the blood of Christ. But this does not mean that we're always in a good place or good standing with God. You could be married to your spouse for 25 years. But it does not mean you're in a good place simply because of your legal standing. We've been married 40 years, 50 years. We've been married, you know, you hear people say this. Well, that doesn't, that's the legal standing. That is, that is the definition of who you are. But does, that, that does not mean that you're in a good place. I hope you are. I hope I am too when I get there. God reconciled us to himself, not just for spiritual legal standing, but for fellowship, for relationship. He didn't just say, I did that so that you wouldn't be doomed, it wouldn't be condemned, and maybe you'd have eternity someday. It wasn't just the legal standing. It was, no, I desire to be in fellowship with you, to have that relationship with you. So I'm not going to be much longer than that. But if you're not where you want to be, in and with Jesus Christ, right now, like in this moment, you're watching online and here in person, You're just like, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not content with where I am in God. Or maybe you're not where you want to be with a spouse, an adult child, a friend. Reconciliation begins with confession. Confession is not, I'm sorry, I did wrong. There's something powerful. When we go, I am sorry that I have did this, X, Y, Z, I went here, looked at this, talked to you like this, did this, lay those things out, and I caused pain. Failure to recognize and take personal responsibility for your sin can be an automatic indicator that the sinful pattern will will probably continue. It will be repeated. If one cannot take ownership specifically in confession, it probably will be repeated sooner or later. Any attempt at reconciliation with God or others that skips confession, specific confession, almost always fails to succeed over time sleep so at an altar. I don't want to come to an altar in just a moment and go, God, forgive me for all my sins. Now, I also am not going, like if this is one of the first times you've been at the altar, maybe you're watching online, you're like, I've never really had a relationship with God. No one is saying, well, if you were born, in my case, 1980, I have to try to think through everything since 1980 that I've done and spell them out line by line. And I can't even remember all that. But I want to start with where I am and the sin that, that that's what the Bible might, might, we might talk about is conviction. There might be conviction in your heart. So even as I'm speaking this, I don't want you to go, well, what in the world am I supposed to do? Remember the last 20 years of sins? No. But chances are, even sitting here right now, you're feeling conviction in your heart about something. If not, great. You're probably in great standing with God. Thank him for the blood and keep moving. But there might be conviction there about something done, said, washed, attitude, mindset, that you're going, God, forgive me for this. I've allowed this in my heart. I've allowed this in my mind, out my mouth, in my ears, in my eye. Lord, I, please forgive me for this. I don't want to just say, God, forgive me for all my sins that I've ever done. In Jesus' name, amen. It's kind of like being in an argument with your spouse, and they go, well, just, I don't know, blah, blah, and you go, you know what, fine, just sorry for everything I've ever done. Does that ever work for anybody? Well, then why in the world do we come to God and do that? We're the bride of Christ. We're just going to say, Lord, sorry for everything I've ever done. Can we just move on and get to the good stuff? So people. I mean, essentially, that's what we're doing in marriage, too. I don't want to work through the confession. I don't want to be humble and put my pride down and look you in the eye and say, I hurt you. I wronged you, and I am sorry for this and for this and this. Please, honey, would you forgive me? No, I just say, sorry for everything I've ever done. Can we, can we get on now? Can we, can we move on? But you see, that's why the pattern sometimes will continue. Because there's not, there's not true confession. God's calling some people to repent tonight. Our hearts have to be right. For God to do what He wants to do in your life, through your life, my life, in our homes, on the workplace, in this church, He's calling some of us to repent. It's a change of thinking. Flesh right now is so strong. It, it, it will try to justify everything. Well, they don't even know you're offended. It's not that big of a deal. I don't want to make a big deal out of something. It, that happened a long time ago. I think it's pretty much blown over. I, plus, uh, plus they, they were the ones that did it. Plus, they said that. I don't think I owe them an apology. He's probably talking about someone else, not me. Like, we can sit and in our, in our flesh will just start to justify everything. Why? Because that's going to be awkward and hard. work. Do you know, a lot of times... The hardest things to do are usually the things that are right things to do. Repentance is not just saying sorry. It's confessing our sins, calling them out. So maybe it's time for us to just find a place and make that confession to God. To to, to clarify these things, to truly confess what's gotten in there. Yeah, but I did this, and I went there, and I did this, and I messed up here. Sin's always a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. And before we ever do an action of sin, the heart has been corrupted before the action ever transpires. So as we prayed in our our full church prayer, Lord, out of the heart flows the issues of life. Help me to guard my heart i to make sure my heart's right. And that takes regular examinations. And so his goal for you and for others, it's this, as he calls it, the beautiful gift of reconciliation. And that starts with confession. And it's confession from us to him, but it's also confession from us to one another. I don't ever want to think of myself as being the person that could possibly hinder the flow of the Spirit because of something that's in my heart. I mean, Achan in the Old Testament literally cost he, He cost them victory, not only that, death in the camp because there was something that he was hiding in his home That he just wasn't willing to make public and take care of. Ananias and Sapphira had a chance. Sapphira walks in. What'd you sell the land for? Uh, This and this amount. Boom. You're dead. Didn't have to be that way. But when pride gets in the way, when flesh starts to justify, we start to drift. Don't. Don't let yourself get to that point. I don't want to let myself get to that point. Reconciliation's a beautiful gift from God. Through Calvary, we can be reconciled in spite of our sins unto Him. But then that same plan is we can be reconciled one to another. Has there been things done wrong to you? Have people said and done things, maybe even on purpose, not just on accident? I'm not saying you're not, you're not justified in being hurt or offended, but you can't live there. It will destroy you, and it will hinder the church. Until we can get in a place where it's one mind and one accord, where God can pour out a spirit upon all flesh and add to the church daily, that comes from a unified mind and body and, and spirit, the body of Christ. His beautiful gift of reconciliation is here. It's for you and Him. It's for you and others, but your mind has to receive that. Your thinking might have to change if there's something in there, and so I invite you to stand to your feet tonight, and I invite you to find a place to pray, to find a place where you can have some good confession of whatever it is that maybe God's convicting you of that you're going, ah, it's coming to the surface. It's coming to the forefront of my mind. God I want to bring this before you right now I want to handle this right now don't do the God forgive me for all my sins and everything I've ever done but if there's something there begin to work through that with him if there's something there with someone else be the big enough person to go to them and say wow this message just brought up some things and I want to talk to you about them because I don't want these things to live there anymore I don't want it to hinder me. I don't want it to hinder you. I don't want it to hinder my family. I don't want it to hinder this church. God, I want to be reconciled to you and I want to be reconciled one to another because I want this to be a church where we gather in one place, in one mind, in one accord. and Your spirit is poured out upon all flesh. Jesus, help us.